This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're tuned in to the show that explores the narratives of iconic landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. Bukit Jalil will be our destination this month. Mention Bukit Jalil and the first thing a lot of people will think about is our Bukit Jalil National Stadium. The stadium and its surroundings, which are made up of a lot of other sporting complexes, have become iconic in creating the image of Bukit Jalil as a sporting hub of sorts for Klang Valley and Kuala Lumpur. In fact, even our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa can't shake that image off when we decide to talk about Bukit Jalil. When, when I think of Bukit Jalil, I think of uh, the Commonwealth Games. I think of the National Sports Centre. And then I think of Stadium Merdeka, and it's a really weird connection. Not because they're both stadium, but because of um, why Stadium Merdeka and the area around Stadium Merdeka, you know, now we look at Stadium Merdeka, Stadium Nagara, uh, the Chingu Stadium, and then we, we, and even all of that's being eclipsed by Merdeka 118. You know, it will be the tallest building in Malaysia for for ever so long, you know, when, when, when it, I think they're going to launch it next year. I think it's 2024 was the projected date for mm. the, the tower, the main tower. And then, so you kind of like try and, for, it, it's, it's a weird connection with, with KL because why is, uh, why is what has happened to the precinct around Pataling Hill, you know, where Stadium Merdeka is and Stadium Nagara, linked to um, the stadium complex and the National Sports Centre at Bukit Jalil. And so you kind of like trace back and you you go back to a time in the 19, early 1990s when um, the, the plan was to demolish uh, Stadium Merdeka and Stadium Nagara. Um, into a new development and in exchange for that development um, to in exchange for that land so to speak in the center of KL um, you would have this new sports center that was going to be built for the, the Commonwealth Games which Malaysia had won the bid for uh, to host the Commonwealth Games in the 1998 Commonwealth Games mm. and so it's like, you know, in the early 1990s, way before you were born, okay? <laughs> you, you're looking at a, a situation where you have the Petronas Twin Towers coming up. You know, Malaysia is in this, this, this real, you know, the Asian tiger phase, you know. Mahade is there, you know, dominating a certain um, uh, highlight. I, I mean, you know, bringing Malaysia very much into the forefront um, in terms of economy, in terms of world power, in terms of, you know, working with um, certain countries. So it was kind of like positioning itself and KL on the world stage. And so you have the Twin Towers opening in, in, in uh, 1996, uh, the Bukit Jalil uh, Stadium Complex uh, opening in 1998, in time to host the Commonwealth Games at the Bukit Jalil area, 
which would have been um, a, an estate before that. You know, I mean, if you think about Jalil and even Putrajaya, you think of rubber, you think of oil palm, you don't think of sports stadiums and international developments and high-powered governments. Um, and that time, I'm talking mm. about, you know, in the 19, in the 1980s, even up to the 1990s, um, you know, early, mid-1990s. And so the connection of that stadium complex related back to and links back with um, the this whole story of, of national independence, nationalism, you know, pride of the nation, that kind of thing, um, where Stadium Merdeka had been, was eclipsed. And because Stadium Merdeka didn't have the facilities, didn't have the, the infrastructure, so to speak, to host, um, these kinds of international, very high-powered uh, events. And so the, the land around the stadium, the two stadiums were sold um, in exchange for uh, the development of um, the Bukajalil. This is putting it simplistically, right? Mm -hmm. The Bukajalil um, Commonwealth Sports Center mm -hmm. at the Commonwealth Village and to accommodate athletes. It had several stadium, um, and at the same time, you know what we're we're totally in KL. Um, we just you know it, it's it's part of our um, transport infrastructure. You know the LRT lines, and then the MRT now, and the trains and the high speed trains um, with the double tracking, where you're looking at um, an electrification of the trains going out and the new lines. And all of that kind of started in the 1990s because there was this LRT um, that was again developed, you know, in, in the early 1990s um, and opening to link up places like, um, you know, like Shalam and Klang with, um, this is train, with um, Ampang and Rao. It was always there, but you had the, then these light rails which linked up neighborhoods um, from Kampung Baru to uh, Masjid Jame to um, Bukit Jalil at the end of the day, right? Mm. And so you, you kind of have a situation where there was really this kind of hub of activity and everywhere you went uh, and you looked up in the sky, you would see and you looked 360 degrees and you would just see nothing but, you know, cranes working and really major development um, going on. And then you come to the Bukit Jalil um, uh, stop, so to speak, and you have this, imagine in 1998, you know, you have this, this, this huge plaza if you're coming out of the LRT. Um, and you walk across this huge plaza to this massive, massive stadium um, because the National Sports Stadium, what it was supposed to be able to fit in 100,000 people. I think it was 80,000, 90,000, you know, was the seating capacity. Mm -hmm. um, 
and this is, you know, whereas something like uh, Stadium Ardeca, even even with the new, with the with the we with the upper stands, upper tiers that were built, was really only a forty odd thousand capacity. The original stadium was a twenty odd thousand capacity. So you're talking about five times the size. You know, in it. If you compare the original Stadium Merdeka with 20,000 20, seats and the original um, uh, Bukit Jalil uh, National Sports Stadium, this uh, National Sports Center uh, Stadium with National Stadium, I think it's called at Bukit Jalil, um, with uh, 100,000 seats. So you, in a period of what, 40, 50 years? So the exponential sort of increase, yeah? Um, in terms of scale, in terms of size, these are kind of all things that I kind of, you know, mix through in my mind when I think of Bukit Jalil. It, <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of a funny, it's a funny connection, but that's kind of where I come at it from, I think. That was our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, talking about Bukit Jalil. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me on the show today is Elizabeth Cardosa, and we're talking about Bukit Jalil. As I mentioned previously, it's difficult to shake off the image of Bukit Jalil as a sporting hub, especially when I grew up during the fervor of the Commonwealth Games in 1998. It was an iconic moment then and one that Elizabeth remembers fondly as well, especially when it comes to its association with Bukit Jalil. But what was there before the stadium and the other sporting areas were built? What was the area known for? Was just not you don't even think about Bukit Jalil as as because it was not there. It wasn't how do I say it wasn't it was not something that you could say oh this is a township or this is a, even a kampung you know. Mm. Um, it's not so it it wasn't a settlement in that sense. And now look at it, you know you. And the thing is that Bukit Jalil is part of Kuala Lumpur, right? Except that it sits right on this southern edge, you know, which connects on to um, Selangor. And again, I, I don't know how you fit it, but it's like because of the Kasas Highway that passes through or by it and you access it from the Kasas Highway, I feel it's a bit... Um, you know, its its boundaries are a little bit more more um, uh, uh, not transparent, but a bit more fluid. Mm. You know, Selangor or is it KL? So you know, when you look it up, you know that it is in the Sepute um, parliamentary constituency. But you think about Sepute as okay. Uh, off of Old Klang Road, you think you, you know what I mean. You think of it within the KL area, and yet it is in that constituency, which means that it is really very much part of the center. But I then begin to associate it a little bit more with Putrajaya, okay, Saibajaya, Serdang, Puchong, which are not KL KL, but 
it's a language-ish care. You know, you you get mm. this really sort of fluid boundaries um, because of the highways and the byways mm. that crisscross, um, that lead to or lead away from whichever way you want to put it, um, uh, Bukit Jalil area. Geographically, it is technically in Selangor, right? It's, so, no. no. Bukit Jalil Sports Complex is technically in Kuala Lumpur. Okay. It is within the boundaries of Kuala Lumpur. So if you look up the parliamentary constituents, I'm pretty sure it's in Kuala Lumpur. Mm. But that's a yeah, parliamentary but, but it is thingy, a right? Con- it, is, it is something you associate, mentally we associate it with Selangor. But mm. technically, it is in KL. Mm. I mean, in this Wilaya Persekutuan of Kuala Lumpur, and the bridging, yeah, between this Wilaya Persekutuan um, Kuala Lumpur and the Wilaya Persekutuan Putrajaya, bridging it is this area, Serdang, Sri Kambangan. Um, so it becomes very, a little unclear, I think, in terms of, you know, because these are parliamentary, well, political boundaries. They may not necessarily be be the way you know human beings think, and we associate uh, in terms of you know our histories. Because if you think about, you go to Bukit Jalil, then you think, oh, the mines, oh, but the mines, you know, the you know another big development, right? But private, right? But the mines are a Selangor; they're not Kuala Lumpur. So your I love KL, you know, is the Klang Valley, right? Yeah. You love the Klang. Sorry, very city folk. Um, <laughs> overnights, I think. Um, but uh, you you have a situation where it it really is not clear, and I and I suspect that part of the reason why it's not clear is because the boundaries, are the the area is bounded by these major highways, hmm. and on one side of the highway, it's the same as the LTP on one side of the highway is KL and the other side of the highway is Selangor. Mm. I'm looking at the map right now and it feels like um, it's, you know, if you were to look at the area, it's filled with a lot of green areas, I suppose, but but they're not necessarily, um, so there's, there's the the park there. I mean, there's it's the a stadium. huge park. It's a huge and, park. Yeah. And then there's the Bukit Jalil Recreational Park, which is pretty huge, but there's also a big area of, of golf course as well. Yes, so I, I mean, it's green course. in colour, but I'm not sure it's green. Yes, it, yeah. Of course, it's developed into different kinds of use. As opposed to forest lies, it's not forest. Yeah, it's not forest technically. Yeah, so that's that. But it is open space, right? It is open mm. space. And not all the open space is public open space, but it is open space. Mm. And you also have, for example, the sports school there. So you have, and you have universities in and around the area. So you, you, you know, you get this, this whole notion of you're, you're moving between borders, so to speak district borders or or area borders and they are not clear, they're not distinctive. Um, at least we don't when we move around in a car or a motorbike or something like that, these these areas are not um, distinctively oh we're moving from um Selangor into Kuala Lumpur. We're not we, we don't have a a pintu gerbang so to speak, you know, like you have on the federal highway. Mm. that uh, sort of marks out a particular boundary. 
Um, considering the, I think the kind of spaces available in Bukit Jalil, uh, especially um, spaces that are sports related, and our way of associating it with sports, I suppose, do you think that that will be the identity of the space? Especially considering that now, I mean, again, I don't want to associate it with with commercialism, but unfortunately, because of Pavilion Bukit Jalil being there, I think people are beginning to associate. It becomes a destination of sort, but for commercial reasons, I suppose. Um, do you think that eventually, yeah, the the, the what, what like the, will change? The place will, know, know, yeah, will be known for will change, or I think the the nature of the sports, the nature of it as a as a center for sporting activities, I think that will remain because you have the large indoor stadium, you have the huge. Um, open arena. Well, of course, in Malaysia we have to cover lah. You know, they cannot be open, open because our weather is so inclement. I mean, it, we we have weather challenges, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Rain, yeah, very much challenged by rain. Um, that we cannot, we we just can't have just an open, open to the sky, so to speak. You know, we'll all be rained out, right? You have the aquatic center there. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You have um the sports school there. You have, um, I don't think bicycling. I don't think the velodrome is there, if mm, I'm not mistaken. I, so. I remember swimming was there. Mm. I, I think the indoor stadium had gymnastics. They had, you know, all sorts of things. There is hockey. Yeah, hockey is, well. hockey is yeah, somewhere there as well. And then there's also a National Squash Centre. <laughs> yes, the National Squash Centre, that's right. So you have a situation where there is a, a collection of major sports events that could potentially, that can potentially um, house, uh, you know, a, um, a big multi-sports event like the Commonwealth Games. The, I think we've had um, sea games there as well. But um, while we have them as monuments, I don't know how many people associate um, still, let's say, the indoor stadium with sports as much as maybe, unless they're sports fans, Um, you know, football, you know, things like that. Unless they are people, you know, you you get um, entertainment events there now. You get major concerts in places, a lot of arena. whole concerts, host concerts, because, you know, you want large spaces, you want places for, you know, lots of people to congregate. And um, in the case of Bukit Jalil, you have infrastructure, public infrastructure, public transport, a means to come in and out. You know, you have areas where there are large parking facilities. There are, um, there are, they are at least stops, even if they're not terminus. For um uh you your 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 train your light rail, you know your your mass mass transport, um movers, um so you you get that sense, but since the Commonwealth Games and I think the Sea Games, I don't know have there been many major national international sports events which are, are multi sports events. There have been individual, like, you know, football and 
you know, we, we've hosted, um, uh, I think, ASEAN football there before as well. But whether we have multi-sports, so we might have sports events, we might have hockey events, we might have um, squash events, but would we have, have we had many multi-sports events? I'm not so sure. Not really since, well, not really in, in the past few years. And of course, there was COVID, right? So, you know, that would have paid, put paid to a lot. But I don't know that Malaysia has won the bid so to speak, or gone out and pursued um, getting this kind of um, quite huge cost. I mean, it could cost millions and billions of ringgit and dollars to to host anything like this. You know, I, I don't know that we have done it. Mm. Um, but the Commonwealth Games was was major, major. Um, and even you remember it. Is it you were young, but yeah. you you know you were a child, but you remember it yeah. because there was such hype for how many years in the lead up to it, as well. Mm. Um, logistically, it makes sense. I mean, especially if you think about how our city has been designed uh, to, I guess, have an area where all these uh, sporting venues are concentrated in. I suppose. Um, but do you think that? it would be better if, let's say, we have them spread out across the city, you know, considering... I mean, and I'm just projecting this based on... I mean, you just came back from the UK and I'm, I'm a football fan, English Premier League football fan, and I tend to... Whenever I see all the stadiums there, it tends to always be constructed around neighbourhoods and also around, around the city area, right? I mean, logistically, it would be a bit of a nightmare if that were to be done here, especially retroactively but but you know in, in terms of trying to in, in terms of I guess trying to create a society that's pretty much I won't say active but closer to sports I suppose via developmental approach in terms of I guess trying to develop venues that are closer to or more accessible to people do you think that that's something that that perhaps we miss out on in in making Bukit Jalil the 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 sporting hub of sorts of the city? I think that, that you know, I mean, that there, there are always two ways to look at it, right? You know, you, you, when you have a collective, like there's a collection, mm. this, then it becomes very much, as you said, a hub. Um, it becomes a focal point, right? But then when you have a collection like this, unless you have an, a multi-sports event all the time or many, several, you know, multi-sports events, even every two, three years or even every five years, um uh then then it makes economic sense to maybe have that because you have to maintain can you imagine maintaining the infrastructure around it the public landscape around it i think the national sports um the stadium the national stadium had a facelift for for millions i don't i don't know how much it cost but you know um it it was about 20, not quite 20 years before it had a major facelift because in 1996, when you up, in 1998, when you approached the stadium, you could see um, all this, um, you know, the staircases leading up, you know, to the upper tiers because all of that was on the outside. So you entered the gates and then you went up through these um, staircases that led up into the upper tiers. Now, all of that has been clad over 
Um, so it has a skin. It has a new skin. I think um, uh, the Putra, um, I don't know what it's called now, but the uh, the indoor stadium also has a new skin. So this kind of upgrading, so to speak, or refurbishment, whether you want to call it upgrading or whatever, I'm sure they they had to upgrade facilities and um, you know the the electrics and you know all of that kind of thing because you're you're talking about wear and tear and age, right? And all of that happened within the first um, twenty years of its life. Uh, we're now not quite thirty years, um, twenty five years maybe, since it opened in nineteen ninety eight. Now we are twenty five years. Um. You know, in, in 20 years' time or in 15 years' time, you're going to have to have another. I, I expect that there will be another upgrade, um, whatever means or however that will take. So you have a situation where you're spending and the, the nation is spending a lot of public funds on maintaining something like this hub. Um, are we a sporting nation? Would you say? I mean, look at our performance at the Asian Games. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Mm. It, it's it's yes, we have some excellent sports people, but on the whole, do our schools emphasize sporting activities? Are we all encouraged to to go out there and play? And and if there were, yes, there are open fields. And football is definitely something that a lot of people engage with and, and enjoy and you know, but other kinds of activities, are they more are they would they be considered a little more elites? Not all. You know, badminton is something that all kids play, you know. But um because those are the kinds of things that I think generally speaking, you know, the country has excelled at. Um but would you say that, you know, there should be a swimming pool in every neighborhood and, you know, that's not, that's not something. I agree with you that that is something that could be encouraged. And if there were more local and localized um, sports centers, not private gyms, huh? yeah, sports centers um, that were public, uh, then maybe as a nation, we would be more encouraged to do that. But, you know, a lot of schools don't even have their own school fields um, because their school fields, if they were in town, have been overtaken by other needs. Oh, we need to expand our road or we need to get, uh, you know, I don't know, um, a new building in there. Um, so you almost sacrifice this kind of open space um, for this desire to build something on. Oh, it's an open space. We are going to pump something on it. You know, let's not leave it open. Let's not leave it, you know, um, you know, for recreation uh, or let's not leave it for, I mean, that's being mean, but it's just, I don't think that that's necessarily the thought behind it, but that's almost the outcome, right? You have a field and, all of a sudden, something's built on the field. You, you just think about the number of um, times when you've read in the papers or you've seen campaigns for save this green space and save our park and, you know, um, 
local residents coming out and saying, stop building on this park. It's ours. You know, you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, we came into this neighborhood because it had an open space and now you're taking it away. I think that we we don't necessarily, whether it's the public service or the way in which the country works and our thinking of it, we don't necessarily put that much by communal um, sports facilities. And when we have them, I don't know that we necessarily uh, have enough respect for each other to look after them collectively like we would look after our own property. And and this, I would say, if you look at uh, certain um, complaints, and there are constantly complaints, right, um, where you have, um, you know, your your rest stops, you know, and the facilities at your rest stops, and just because they're public, um, you 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 don't care to to keep it well like you would maintain your own house. So I do I don't know where the disconnect is because we are very house proud, and yet we're not. We don't carry the same feeling or the same respect over into. Um, public facilities. And I'm just wondering whether, you know, that's kind of part of the reason why we don't have that many good public facilities. But also, sometimes they're built in quite the wrong place where there's nobody there. Yeah. You know, you, you put, when you have a collection of huge monuments like you have, um, this, this National Sports Centre hub, Sport city almost it's like a city right because you had uh which and it was purpose built and then after that you have no plans for future events um it's then left to languish and and deteriorate because it's unloved and unused um so maybe maybe we should plan more long term and, and plan more um think more modestly. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa talking about Bukit Jalil. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash I Love KL. Our app you can find via Google Play and the App Store. You can also find this podcast and many others on Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on X at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin. You have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Stay safe and join us again next week only on BFM 89.9 The Business Station Happy Deepavali You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station For more stories of the same kind download the BFM app